HCC Connect is an initiative of Core to Ed. This podcast is supported by an independent educational grant from Bayer. The views in this podcast are the personal opinions of the experts. They do not necessarily represent the views of the experts, academic institution, or the rest of the HCC Connect group. For expert disclosures on any conflict of interest, please visit the Call to Ed website. Welcome to the HCC Connect podcast. Thank you for joining us. Today, we do have the privilege to be joined by Professor Matthias Pinter, medical hepatologist from the Medical University of Vienna in Austria. Welcome, Dr. Pinter. Hello, everyone. I'm happy to be here today. In this episode, Professor Pinter will share some insight from key abstracts and topics discussed at ILCA 2021 and ESMO 2021 in hepatocellular carcinoma. Professor Pinter, first of all, from your point of view, what were the key topics covered during these two virtual congresses this year on HCC? Well, at ILCA, the main topics included discussions about treatment options in first-line systemic therapy, since we have a new standard of care with an immunotherapy-based regimen, but there are still some patients who may receive a TKI in first-line instead. And in this regard, we heard real-world data on TKIs from HCC patients usually excluded from clinical trials, such as patients with impaired liver function, for example. And finally, another important question was how to proceed with immunotherapy in HCC, in particular, the rationale for a triplet immunotherapy combination was discussed. And at ESMO, there were data presented on atezolizumab and bevacizumab, the new reference standards uh, of care in systemic frontline HCC treatment. And another interesting topic was uh, the combination of taste uh, with uh, immune checkpoint blockade in intermediate stage HCC. Which data related to the systemic therapy would you consider the most interesting in advanced HCC in the first-line setting? Well, there were two studies discussed at ASMO on the combination of atezolizumab plus bevacizumab. Dr. Kuda presented updated efficacy and safety data on patients without macrovascular invasion and extrahepatic metastasis from the IMBRAVE 150 study. And they reported similar safety and relative OS benefits compared to the intention to treat cohort, while the survival in absolute numbers was longer in these less advanced tumors. And the study from Korea reported real-world data on atezolizumab plus bevacizumab in around 120 patients with HCC and child class A. And the efficacy and safety in their cohort were comparable with the results from the IMBRIF 150 phase 3 trial. So these data further support the efficacy and safety of atezolizumab and bevacizumab in frontline HCC. However, only a subset of patients achieves prolonged response from this combination therapy, and therefore uh, further improvements are necessary. And this could be triplet ICI-based combination therapy. So at ILCA, Dr. Kelly discussed the rationale for triplet combination therapy, which is either to augment or prolong response by targeting primary and acquired mechanisms of resistance called synergy, or actually to achieve an additive benefit by targeting independent pathways to increase the chance of an anti-tumor effect. Several ongoing phase one and two trials are currently testing triple combination in HCC, 
And one important question in this regard is whether to use all agents at the same time or sequentially. Thank you, Professor Pinter. So we know that the immunotherapy combination with atezolizumab and bevacizumab is now the standard of care. But is there still a role for the monotherapy TKI in first-line setting? Well, not all patients can receive atezolizumab plus bevacizumab due to contraindications. And this was discussed in another session at ILCA. So around 15 to 20% of HCC patients are not ideal candidates for atezolizumab and bevacizumab. And these are mainly patients with HCC recurrence of the liver transplantations, patients with severe autoimmune disease, or those with a high bleeding risk. Therefore, these patients should still receive a TKI in first line. And during this session, uh, they discussed recent real-world evidence uh, on lenvatinib from two retrospective cohorts, one from the United States and one from Japan. In contrast to the REFLECT trial, these cohorts included CHALPUB and even some CHALPUC patients, and also patients who received lenvatinib in further lines, meaning in second or third line. The main takeaways from these data were high response rates, even in CHALPUB patients, and a safety profile similar to that of the REFLECT trial. However, they also pointed out that it may be safer to start cautiously in CHALPUB patients, probably with a lower dose, and monitor these patients more closely. They also concluded during this session that TKIs work best in patients with very well-preserved liver function and highlighted the importance of switching from local regional to systemic therapy when liver function is still preserved. In another session at ILCA, real-world data on sorafenib and regorafenib in special populations that are usually excluded from clinical trials were discussed. The main takeaways from this session were that sorafenib and the sequence sorafenib regorafenib were safe and effective in patients with HCC recurrence of the liver transplantation. They also reviewed data on CHALPUB patients from real-world observational studies. The main conclusions here were that sorafenib was safe, even though CHALPUB patients had a shorter survival compared to CHALPUB patients by nature. They also discussed the higher bleeding risk with atezolizumab and bevacizumab, the importance of endoscopic evaluation prior to treatment start, and they suggested to use alternative treatments in patients with high risk of bleeding when prophylactic bleeding management is difficult. Another issue is the missing prospective data on second-line treatment after first-line immunotherapy. And in this regard, they discussed retrospective real-world data on regorafenib after IO therapy, showing no new safety signals and the similar benefit compared with patients who had no prior IO exposure suggesting basically that regorafenib is a valuable option in this setting. Finally, a bit of topic as it concerns the second-line setting. But Dr. Kuda presented updated results from the REFINE trial at ILCA, a phase 4 observational study on regorafenib in real world. In over 1,000 patients, they actually confirmed the safety and efficacy data of regorafenib from the resource trial. But compared to the phase three trial, the refund included a much broader patient population. For example, they included patients with more advanced liver function impairment or patients uh, with an ECOG performance status of two or higher. So thereby, they basically confirmed that regorafenib was not only safe and effective within a very selected clinical trial population, but also in the real life setting. 
Predictive and prognostic biomarkers are critical, as we know. So were there any promising investigations presented in that field in these two virtual congresses? Well, regarding biomarkers and prognostic factors, there were several abstracts presented at ASMA and ILCA. Let's start with ILCA, where Dr. Rich investigated the prevalence of cachexia in HCC patients in a retrospective cohort study of around 600 patients with HCC across all BCLC stages. They found cachexia in more than 20% of the patients with higher prevalence in more advanced tumor stages. And interestingly, uh, these patients were less likely to receive HCC treatment and they had a worse survival. Another interesting study was presented by Dr. Seng at ILCA. The study focused on immune profiling of resected HCCs using deep learning on histological slides, where deep learning actually predicted uh, the activation of six gene signatures related to response to immunotherapy and survival. And another abstract from ASMO reported that a deep learning model was able to predict relapse-free survival, and again from histological slides, in patients who underwent a liver transplantation for HCC. So these studies highlight the potential of artificial intelligence, which may become a very useful tool in the near future. Another study discussed at ASMO retrospectively investigated AFP in over 500 patients treated with the TKI rigorafenib. They identified baseline AFP equal or above 400, as well as an AFP decrease of 20% during treatment as independent prognostic factors for OS and progression-free survival. And this again highlights AFP being a surrogate marker for more aggressive tumor biology and an important prognostic factor in HCC. Finally, I want to share data from a retrospective multicenter study of HCC patients treated with immune checkpoint blockers presented by David Pinado at ILCA. They showed that treatment-related adverse events of grade 2 or higher were associated with improved response and survival, and these data were also confirmed in an independent FDA clinical trial data set. So these data can help in patient counseling. In particular, they can help to motivate patients to stay on treatment despite experiencing some adverse events. Thank you so much, Professor Pinter. Is there anything else you would like to share with us in the field of HCC? Well, there are three more studies that I want to mention here. The first one was presented by Dr. Nolt at ILCA. They retrospectively compared multi-bipolar radiofrequency ablation and liver resection in a large cohort of HCC patients within the Milan criteria. They found that multi-bipolar radiofrequency ablation was associated with a similar oncological outcome in tumors smaller than 3 centimeters, but not uh, in tumors larger than 3 centimeters. However, a radiofrequency ablation was associated with less morbidity. And based on these data, they proposed a treatment algorithm for singular as well as multifocal tumors, which could be uh, quite helpful in clinical practice. Dr. Haber presented data from a systematic review and meta-analysis of randomized controlled trials showing that immunotherapy is more effective in patients with viral etiology than in patients suffering from non-viral liver diseases. So there's growing evidence suggesting that the underlying etiology may affect the efficacy of immunotherapy. 
And thus, it may be important to use disease etiology as a stratification factor in future immunotherapy trials. And finally, Dr. Vogel presented data from a phase two study, including 49 patients with intermediate stage HCC who were treated with tastes in combination with nivolumab. With an obje objective response rate of around 70%, the study finally met its primary endpoint, and the authors concluded that the results support further evaluation of this combination in HCC. What is the impact of all the data we discussed on clinical practice? Is there anything we need to change when treating patients with HCC? Well, overall, there were no data presented at these meetings that will ultimately change current guidelines. But still, there was important information that may be valuable to help physicians in daily clinical decision-making. I wanted to thank uh, Professor Matthias Pinter for joining us today, for his valuable inputs, and we appreciate your listening. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. This HCC Connect podcast was brought to you by CoreToEd Independent Medical Education. Please visit coretoed.com for more information.